0: Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down deep into Him. Let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness.
1: Good morning everybody. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now in the warehouse chapel off-site campus, maybe on the internet. Uh, we're glad that you guys are along also. Uh, however you are glad that football season is here and uh, I trust that uh, I trust that your team won uh, unless you live in the state of Georgia we'll, we'll have prayer for you uh, later. We, we are praying for you. hope you lose again next week. Um, <laughs> It's terrible for your pastor to insult you right away. Would you agree that living things grow? I mean, just a simple statement. Living things grow. Some of you are trying to think, okay, what's a living thing that's not growing? You know, a key indicator that something is alive is basically that, they, that, they're, that they're growing, whether it's good or bad, that they're growing. Um, we moved to the Charleston area about 26 years ago in We moved into a home not far uh, from our church here and and we lived there for a number of years and it's where our kids grew up and so there was a great deal of sentimental value when we sold it and moved into another home. And probably the most sentimental place in the whole house was surprisingly uh, this closet that was in the room over the garage. It was one of those closets that you throw everything in, you guys have one of those and you just don't go there very often and so that's the closet that I chose once a year uh, to measure the growth of my kids. Uh, we, I would open the door and we'd go inside because Debbie wouldn't go for me doing this anywhere else. And, uh, you know, we'd line up and you'd put a book on their head. Anybody else do this? Now, The book I'm using today is the uh, John Maxwell 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth uh, just to fit with the whole process. But, you know, you'd, you'd put a uh, book on their head like this and then you'd mark it. Now, I had to put the book extremely level. In fact, we'd almost have to use a level because I had two boys a year and a half apart who were just about the exact same height. And so there was uh, a lot writing on, you know, the, how it came out. So we'd put a mark in the thing and then we'd measure with a tape measure to see how big they were. And when we left the house, it was hard for me uh, as I looked at this, this record of the growth of my family. Living things grow. Now, as an adult, physical growth continues. You grow vertically until perfection is reached. Some of us reach it sooner than others. And uh, there's, some biblical, uh, there's some biblical truth to that. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. And so, I don't know at what level that is, but I know that uh, I'm there. Okay. Now, the problem is you reach a vertical limit, but you're still alive. You continue to grow, and so you start measuring around this way, okay? Living things grow. You know, living things grow spiritually, too. I wonder what the measurement is for spiritual growth, because living things grow. If you're growing spiritually, there is a measurement. There's a notch somewhere. I would suggest to you after we study uh, today's passage that um, that is measured by uh, your actions and your words. That's how we measure spiritual growth. It's not by what you know or you know, what books of the Bible you've memorized, or whether you have a real clear understanding of when Jesus is coming again. Uh, spiritual growth is measured, the outcome is measured in how we act and, and what we say. In fact, uh, in our series, and we're studying Colossians, this is this going to be the last study in the book of Colossians, chapter four? Paul says in chapter two, Let your roots grow deep in Christ so that you become more and more like Christ so that you grow in him. Now, what's the purpose of growing in him? What's the purpose? So you become a better person? Well, yeah, I mean, there's some of that, but it's beyond you. It's bigger than you. God has a bigger purpose for you and I becoming like Christ than just us being a better person. In fact, God wants his kingdom to grow, and the more you grow and the more attractive you become, then others see it and God's kingdom grows, and the ultimate goal is that God's kingdom grow. He wants everybody to come to, uh, to, to be a part of his family. In fact, Jesus said in Acts chapter 8, it's kind of his last commands, he says, but you, and you can put your name in there, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon his people, you, he says, the the outcome, the goal is that you become a witness. Now, everybody is a witness. You're either a witness for, you know, good, bad, indifferent, but we're all witnesses. He said, and I want you to tell people. Tell them in Mount Pleasant and Columbia and Greenville, wherever you happen to live, about me, that that the message of Jesus goes to the end of the earth. And in Acts, the results were very, very clear. In fact, let's just kind of, we're going to kind of step through some of those. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all, very clear about the number of people that were added. Uh, In Acts 4, it says, but many of the people who heard their message believed, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And then in Acts 5, it says, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. Acts 6, the believers rapidly multiplied. Acts 6, 7, so God's message continued to spread. The number of the believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted also. Chapter 9, church had peace throughout Judea and, Galilee and, and or Galilee and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in number. And it goes on and on and on. Uh, it talks about numbers. So in Acts sixteen five, it says, so the church was strengthened in their faith and they grew larger every day. You say, well, you know, that's kind of a numbers game. Is that really that important? Yes, every number represented a person. How do you think number 3,242 of those 4,000 that were uh, added to the church in that one day, how do you think that person felt? Man, it was great. Listen, you are a number. You're more than a number. You're important in God's kingdom, but when you came to know Jesus, you were added to the number of the church. The Bible says the angels rejoiced at your salvation. So people are important in God's plan is that, is that you and I grow, that our roots grow down deep in the Lord, in Jesus, so that we become attractive, attractive we attract others, so that God's church will grow. In fact, the church in the New Testament is called the Bride of Christ. How many of you know that brides are beautiful on their wedding day? Boy, they go through a lot of effort to do that. I'm not saying that they aren't beautiful otherwise. That's bad, I need to back up on that, okay. But on their wedding day, you know, hours and dollars. I remember with uh, our, our girls, I'd watch them and they'd, man, they'd work on hair and all this kind of stuff is incredible. They are so beautiful on their wedding day. And the, the church is called the bride of Christ. The church is to be beautiful. That's why last week in our series, Josh taught uh, about wearing the right clothes. In Colossians 3, it says we're to box up and put away old clothes of anger and rage and insults and obscene, ugly words, and we're to put on new clothes of compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience and tolerance, forgiving one another. That's attractive. And can I tell you, when the church is done well, it is an attractive thing. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But here's the problem. The body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the church, somewhere along the line, the bride of Christ stops shaving her armpits, and she's not beautiful anymore, okay? am <laughs> not sure I should have. I just insulted every European woman right there. But, the, but I got your attention. The point is this. She quits caring about how she looks. That happens in... That happens in marriages. Okay, it's Labor Day tomorrow, okay? And so, so, you know, I'm not going to do any work. I'm going to sleep in, which is great. And he pulls on the old T-shirt. You know the one. It's been washed a thousand times, but it doesn't matter. The armpits are yellow. But it's okay because, hey, it's just you and me, baby. And at night, she puts on the nightgown. That is comfortable. It's got holes in it everywhere. She would not have worn that on her honeymoon. But it's okay. It's just you and me, baby. (laughs) I'm thinking a lot of things, but I'm going to leave it alone. So, So it happens with the church. The church quits caring about how we look to the outside world. And we just drift inward, you know. And it becomes unattractive. No passion, no passion for people who are lost and who are outside of the church. And so Colossians chapter 4, Paul brings us back to our purpose. He reminds us that living things grow. That living things are attractive and the church is to be attractive. Let me read the passage that we're going to study for a few minutes today. It's uh, Colossians 4, verse 2. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. What's his mysterious plan concerning Christ? You've got to understand, he's speaking basically uh, in a Jewish context, and he's saying... Um, Jesus has come, he is the Messiah, and through him, Gentiles like you and I are engrafted into, the, into God's plan. That's the mystery, okay? So he says, I'm, I'm, I wanna speak on that. Pray that I'll have opportunities to speak concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. He says, you know what, I'm in jail. He was in chains when, when this was written. And he said, he doesn't complain about that. It's not moaning and groaning. I work so hard for Jesus and this is what I get. He said, no, this is, this is the way This is the means for me to share the mystery of Christ to the jailers who are around me. I'm here for a purpose. That's why I'm here is to share the good news, okay? Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely. Then he turns to them and he says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So what I want to talk about just for a few minutes is this. I want to talk about three ways I can help the church grow. We are saved. We are to grow deep in Jesus so that his church can grow. So here's three ways, according to these scriptures, that I can help my church grow. First one is this. I'm going to pray diligently. I'm going to pray diligently. In verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourself. Set apart. Devote. Means just to set, a, set apart. Set yourself apart for prayer. Now, you don't have to. You've got other options. In fact, Philippians chapter uh, 4 and verse 6 says this. Don't worry about anything. How many of you violated that today? Today. Okay. All right. Don't worry about anything, he says. Instead, pray about everything. He says, you're going to do one or the other. You're going to worry or you're going to pray. You're going to devote yourself to worry or you can devote yourself to prayer. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. So he says, devote yourself to pray. Now, what do you pray about? What do you pray about? Look at the next part of the verse. It says, with an alert mind. Circle alert mind. Do you have problems staying alert during prayer? <laughs> just, just honestly, when if you decide, I'm going to devote myself to prayer. Maybe you're going to set aside a quiet time or maybe it's during a period of you know, uh, 21 days of fasting and prayer that we did at the beginning of the year. And you say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to devote myself to prayer. And you sit down to pray, and all of a sudden, you've got all kinds of distractions. Mine's called an iPhone. I have an iPhone that's demon-possessed, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you what happens. My iPhone, I'll turn it to, you know, you got a little knob on the side that says, turn it to silent. It turns itself on. It turns itself on several times during the day. One time, I was praying at a big event, and one of you called me on my iPhone while in the middle of and Lord Jesus, and it was so embarrassing. It was a demon in my iPhone. And so what what I what I do is I'll sit down to pray and. You know, a ding will go off. Oh, I got to look at that real quick. Oh, that's a text message. Oh, that's uh, let me check that. Well, I've got four text messages. Let me check those. What about email and da da da? And you just get totally distracted and thinking about stuff. That anybody else have that issue with prayer? Sometimes it's hard to pray with an alert mind because you get distracted. And let me tell you another one. I've got I've got a place for prayer, and it's a pretty comfortable chair. And there have been times, just being transparent, I have sat down to pray for you and gone to sleep. Okay, right there. (laughs) In my chair. And Paul says we're to pray with an alert mind. I'm going to give you a way to get through that here in just a minute. Second thing he says, though, circle thankful heart with a thankful heart. He says pray with a thankful heart. Now, let me tell you what that is. That is a no whiners policy. There is no whining during prayer. You know, there may be something right now that you're privately whining about, and maybe you're publicly whining about it. Might be your job, your marriage, your kids, you know your situation in life, the school that you're going to, the teacher that you have, whatever it happens to be. And we're oh, you know, I just don't. Well, listen. He says we're to pray with a thankful heart. In fact, the earlier scripture, Philippians 4 and verse 6, says you can either worry or pray. You might as well pray. So pray with thanksgiving. And so prayer... Actually, uh, sitting down in prayer, daily prayer, is a place to really put a stop to whining. Now, you, you ask God about the things that concern you, yes, but you, you, you do it with a thankful heart. You say, God, I'm not going to whine about this. I'm grateful for what you've given me. But you know what? This is concerning me. I'd love if, if this could change. And sometimes God readjusts our attitudes or sometimes he inter, uh, intervenes in the situation. But we're to pray with a thankful heart. Now, who do you pray for? Who do you pray for? Obviously, you pray for family. You pray for people who God loves who are outside of the church but in close proximity to you. That's what a growing believer does. A growing believer is like Paul who says, you know, I'm here in prison. Now, I could moan about prison or I could say, you know, God's got me here and there are certain people that are around me right now, which means they're my assignment. So God, I'm going to pray for them and for you at work or at school or in your living uh, situation right now or wherever it happens to be, God has divinely placed people that you have an assignment for. Maybe you haven't even accepted that. And the first thing you do is you begin to pray for them. You begin to pray for people around you, okay? Um, Now, pausing in prayer makes you more aware of who God has placed around you. But Paul takes it one step further and he says this. He says, pray for us. Pray for us in verse 3. He says, I'm going to need your prayer in this next season. So it's an important season. I need your prayer. I unapologetically ask you to pray for me. And I want to do the same thing today. I want to ask you, when you pray, to pray for me. Uh, I've been uh, been thinking about it recently. And um, this is an incredible, probably of all seasons I've been in, in this church, this is the The most stretching season I've ever been in. The pastor here, uh, the president of the ark, the church planting organization, I love all that I'm doing, but it stretches me. And I need your prayer, I really do. And so I'm asking you, as Paul did, would you pray for me? And then he says, specifically pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. I'm asking the same thing. I have lots of opportunities Pray for me that I'll take the right ones to preach about the mysterious plan of Jesus. In in our age, it's to plant life-giving churches in every community in the world. And so he says, pray for me. And then he says that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to do a series about the prodigal son. I'm excited about it. We've got Chris Russo doing some spoken word stuff and some cool things that we're gonna do as a part of the series. But here's what we know. We know that um, after Labor Day, everybody kind of settles in for kind of the long haul. Kids are in school and vacation is kind of behind us. And uh, people are thinking about, you know, thinking about the future, thinking about where they are right now. And there are a lot of people in our community that are around you that God has strategically placed around you that may have been walking with Christ, been going to church, whatever, but really aren't right now, really aren't right now. And this series is specifically for you to be able to minister to them, all right? And, uh, and so what I want to do is I want to preach as clearly, as succinctly. I want to be able to share the gospel in a way that's compelling. And I want to I pray, I, I want you to pray uh, for me that I'll, I'll share very, very clearly, I, I wanna do that. Because this is an opportunity for this part of God's kingdom, God's church, Seacoast, to grow. And so I want you to be alert and be praying for people that God may have around you, and I want you to pray for me if you would, too. I really, I really would appreciate and need your prayer. So I wanna give you a prayer challenge. I wanna challenge you to join me in an alert praying exercise. For the next three weeks, I think it's so crucial, we're going to have, um, uh, we challenge you uh, to, um, uh, to three weeks of alert praying. It's kind of like, remember at the first of the year we do 21 days of fasting and prayer? This is kind of like that without the fasting, okay? We're going to do an exercise, and I think God's going to take us deeper in our prayer lives. I want to I, I challenge you to do this, to journal in your prayers. That's one of the ways you can stay alert. It's not a, this is not a legalistic thing. It's not something you have to do for the rest of your life. It's not something, frankly, I do every day, but I do it periodically. And for the next 21 days, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to sit, set aside a time for prayer. I'm going to take out a journal. Now, a journal can be a little notebook. It can be just a piece of paper. For me, I'm kind of a techie, so it's an app on the iPhone called Day One, which is just a great journal app. And every day, I'm gonna take it out and challenge you to do the same thing and write three things on your paper and then pray about them and journal it. Number one, what am I grateful for? We're to pray with thanksgiving. So let's start it out. Let's start it out with thanksgiving. What am I grateful for right now today, okay? And then secondly, what am I praying for? What am I praying for? What or whom, or it's i praying for. Who am I praying for? It might be my family, I'm going to ask you to pray for leadership here. Uh, And maybe you're praying for somebody around you. Uh, Just be real kind of that. Say, God, who have you planted around me that you just want me to pray for? And then the third one is, what do I need? What do I need? Okay? What am I grateful for? Who am I praying for? And what do I need? And let's see if God doesn't take us deeper in prayer in the next three weeks. So I'm going to help my church grow by praying diligently. Here's the second thing. I'm going to help my church grow by living wisely. I'm going to live wisely. Verse 5, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. It has two parts. The first part is to live wisely among those who are not believers. What does it mean to live wisely? Proverbs 11 and verse 30 says, he who wins souls is wise. What does a wise person do? Well, they ultimately win souls. Okay. In Daniel twelve and verse three says, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. You want your own star? You know, you can go through those, you can go through those programs where you can pay X number of dollars, they'll name a star after you. Well, you don't have to do that. You just live wisely and lead many to righteousness, and you will be a star. You'll be like the stars that shine. Brightly. So, what does it mean to live wisely among those who are unbelievers? Um, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, this week. I was doing an event for the Arc Association of Related Churches. About 150 pastors in Nashville, just talking and and teaching them. And uh, so, I had about 24 hours in Nashville. And uh, I got there at uh, about 7:30 at night. I was hungry. I had a, a filming session that I had to do at 8.30, didn't have time for a full meal, so I walked down Broadway to Mike's Ice Cream. I just thought, I'm going to eat healthy if I can, uh, just get a little bit of ice cream, I'm just weighing out the calories, which calories do I want to have. And so on the way to Mike's Ice Cream, there was a guy that was standing on the corner, and uh, he was handing people um, little pieces of paper, tracks, gospel message tracks, and um, Almost nobody would take them. I mean, people just weren't taking them. So I took one, and uh, he was happy because I looked like I was lost, you know, uh, not just in Nashville, but looked like a lost person, which I'm grateful for. Uh, never did, Wh- whatever, whatever. So anyway, so I took this, and he had a little canned speech that he gave me, and I thought about that. And uh, I'm, I'm going to give him an A for effort. I really am, because he was trying to, you know, do what God was calling him to do, but I wondered how effective that was, and I wondered if I came back here and said, okay, in order for you to live wisely, here's what we're going to do. We got a whole bunch of tracts that we're going to give you, and I want you to go stand on the street, memorize this little, you know, statement, and give those out. I don't think very many of you would do that, and very few of you would do it well. So what does it mean? Let me tell you what it means to live wisely. We're to live our lives in such a way as to make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful. I'd love for you to write that down. We're to live our lives in such a way as to make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful. Okay, And all of us can do that. That's what spiritual growth looks like. In fact, this week... You will have a chance. I will just, I'll guarantee you, you will have a chance at some point this week to respond to bad customer service. Okay, it's just rampant everywhere. There's gonna be somebody that's not gonna serve you well, and here will be the question. Will your response make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful, or will you show your hairy armpits? Okay, that's, that's the question. Try to get this down to a level we can all understand. Okay. This week, Someone around you will have a crisis, okay? Somebody in your circle of influence will have a marriage crisis, a kid crisis, a car crisis. They may have a water heater crisis like one of my friend's neighbors did. Uh, You know, I don't know why they put water heaters in the attic these days because you know they're not gonna last forever and when they break, it's a crisis. Neighbor had a crisis and he chose to see it as an opportunity to make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful. Okay, live wisely. This week at school, if you go to school, someone, you'll see someone probably sitting by themselves at lunch. And they're going to act like that's okay. It's all right. It's fine, you know, because nobody wants to be seen as uncool. But in that moment, you're going to have an opportunity to make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful if you will live wisely. This week, you may go out at night to to a club or bar or whatever. And she's on her third beer, and things are starting to get out of hand. Will you take advantage of the situation for your own pleasure, or will you live wisely, make Jesus admirable, and the church attractive? See, that's what it means. That's what it means to live wisely, is that in every situation, as much as I can, and it comes when you devote yourself to prayer, because you're more alert to these type of situations. But will you make Jesus admirable, and will you make the church beautiful. Second part of that is that uh, he says, make the most of every opportunity. What does that mean? That just simply means noticing when God is at work. You know, you just got to, you just got to look around. Not every situation are you supposed to be involved in, but you look and the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, I'm at work in this person. I'm at work in this situation. So I want you to either begin a conversation, make an invitation to church, or just be a listening ear. So I will help my church grow by praying diligently, by living wisely. And let me give you one more. I'm going to speak graciously. I'm going to speak graciously. Colossians 4 and verse 6 says, Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone. Would you agree with me? Words are so important. Uh, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Has anybody here ever killed a relationship with your tongue? Anybody? Okay, I'm not saying you lick somebody to death. I'm saying you you said something. (laughs) You said something and it killed a relationship. We probably all have been there. The question is, are we more concerned with being right or being loving? So you can win an argument and you can lose a relationship. So this week, this week, will your conversation be gracious and attractive? When? The subject of politics comes up at work. Think about that. Will your conversation be gracious and attractive? Will you make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful? When the teacher at school reacts to something your little angel does, yeah, will your conversation be gracious and attractive? Will you make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful, okay? When you receive personal criticism, we all love that. When you're mistreated by a supervisor, when conflict arises in your marriage, especially if your spouse is a non-believer. I mean, that's a double load. Will your conversation be gracious and attractive? And will you make Jesus admirable and the church beautiful? When you receive a tasty morsel of gossip about somebody you really don't like anyway, and you're glad to hear that that's a situation. You know, gossip is so tasty how we love to swallow it, Proverbs 18 and verse 8. So this week... You're going to have several opportunities to add to the church or to subtract from it by your words. And I want to challenge you, church. Let's grow together. Let's commit to praying diligently and living wisely and speaking graciously. Let's go deeper in Jesus. Let's let our roots go in in Jesus until it impacts our actions. Jesus becomes more attractive to others. And the church becomes more beautiful. Okay, I'm I'm going to team teach this week and at this point, I'm going to kick this message over to your campus pastor to clean up all heresy and to put some finishing touches on this message. So at all of our campuses, will you give it up and here at Long Point, give it up for your campus pastor as they come and finish the message for us. Give it up.
0: All right. lost it when he said lick somebody to death I've never even thought about that it's incredible the top of your outline sheets three ways that I can help grow my church everybody say "My my church my church man when I heard that the word that kept coming to mind all throughout Pastor Greg's message was ownership my church it's not it's not passive you know when you speak it it's possessive my church Katie and I first got married, we uh, rented a little place in downtown Columbia, and, uh, you know, just so excited. We got married our senior year of of college, and so uh, just excited to have our own place, and so we lived there for a semester. We were about to buy our own house, and for whatever reason, you know, there was probably three or four hundred people that came to our wedding. We invited every, like, science class, you know, if they were at school and breathing, come on, it's going to be a blast. And so that year, for whatever reason, pretty much everyone that came to our wedding brought us a crystal picture frame. <laughs> you know? It's like, this is why you have a registry. And so uh, when we went to move, we had the like Mac Daddy yard sale, you know, just a m- massive deal. And most of the offering were crystal picture frames. And so that night we found out the next day there was a huge storm coming through. And so we're newly married. I'm not thinking about the house. I'm trying to be a hero for my my bride here. And so I said, babe, we'll just bring it all inside. It's a yard sale, we'll have like a living room sale. We'll deck it out like a thrift store, antique shop. You know, I could just hang all these picture frames on the wall all the purses, bags, shirts. I could just tap a little nail in the wall and it looked awesome. It was incredible, you know. So people came in. We sold every single thing in the house. It looked awesome. The only issue was that it left about 200 nail holes in the wall. <laughs> and the bigger issue is that we didn't own the house. You know, we were, we were renting. There was an issue of ownership. A few uh, months ago during the Thorn, I went by Wendy's on the way into the church, bought me a combo, spicy chicken sandwich, plain with cheese, A frosty, come on, brought it to the church, sat it at the info center, had five kids, went and dropped the kids off. They were all serving in different ways for the thorn, came back, somebody had snatched my frosty. (laughs) I'm just saying, it's a good thing, the Lord's probably convicting someone here right now (laughs) that the Lord's veiled me from whoever it is because I would minister to you because you stole my frosty. My frosty, it's possessive. What are the things in your life that you have that kind of ownership over? My wife, my wife. I'm the one that God has called to lay his life down, to lay my life down, to love her well. My kids, I'm the one that's called to discipline them. If any of you follow me on Instagram, uh, you probably have a hunch that I'm not the world's best dad, um, but I am the world's best dad for my kids. Ownership, my house, my car, if there's gonna be maintenance done to my car, if the oil's gonna be changed, if the tires are gonna be rotated, I have to be the one to do it. I have ownership over it because it's mine. Well, there's two areas of our lives that if we'll take ownership over, impact the way that we experience all of the others, and the first of which is our faith. Take ownership of our faith. What does that look like? My uh, nine-year-old daughter, Anna Jay, is our, our oldest, and she's you know, really sharp. Our five-year-old son, Abel, He was born about six weeks earlier than due date. And so developmentally, he's been just a little bit slower. And so uh, his teacher was real concerned about it last year. So going into this year, we've been praying, uh, God, I just pray that it is a breakthrough year for him in terms of learning, colors, numbers, all that kind of stuff. And so we were praying literally this past Monday and the words that came out of my mouth while we were praying about it's like, God, I just pray that he would just exceed every expectation for him this year, that he would be our smartest child. And uh, the next day, Tuesday, he came home, and they had a sheet with like nine colors on it, and it said red, blue, green, yellow. You had to pick the color and then rewrite the word. And uh, he got every single one of them right. When last year, I'm telling you, that cat couldn't pick out, say, buddy, what color is daddy's shirt? Green, blue, red? You know, it's like, it wasn't working. <laughs> so, um, so we celebrated, got him a toy. We were all excited. Then Tuesday night, I uh, told... Uh, Anna Jay, we were praying, and we were just still so excited about Abel, and she said, Daddy, I'm going to be the smartest kid in our family. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you prayed that Abel would be, and I- I'm going to be. <laughs> and I was like, so when we prayed, were you in agreement with Daddy? She was like, I want him to get smarter, but not as smart as me. <laughs> she was taking, she's taking ownership of studying, Man, she disciplines herself. As the verse Pastor Greg reads, she's devoted herself to learning, to studying hard, so for each of you in our faith, a few months ago, I went to a, a conference and a pastor named Larry Stoxel was talking about his spiritual disciplines of study and, and prayer. And the phrase that he said has echoed in my soul. He said, I don't need to be propped up by somebody else's revelation. And uh, when I heard him say it, I thought, ah, oh, man. We attend a church where between Pastor Greg and Pastor Chip and Pastor Josh, even uh, Jack Hoy, who kind of oversees the operation of all the Seacoast campuses, he's read through the Bible every single year for 15 or 20 years. I mean, we are just surrounded by some, some solid men and women of our faith that, man, daily, I can be encouraged just following them on Twitter, getting to connect with them in the office. It's easy for me to be propped up by their revelation, but for me to take ownership of my faith means that I have to do the maintenance, change the oil, if you will. I've gotta spend time going after God, praying over the issues that I'm walking through, ridding my heart of anxiety or worry or fear. I've gotta take ownership of my faith. So one way that you can do that is just committing, through this prayer challenge even, saying if it's prayer, if it's Bible study, whatever it is, Not that we have a competition to be the smartest person in the church. If that's what it takes for you to take ownership, (laughs) then then go for it. But I'm going to go after God with all of me. Second way you could take ownership of your faith is through baptism. That video, was that the greatest (laughs) baptism? I can't wait for the next service just so I can see it again. (laughs) It's just hilarious. But for some of you, the idea of baptism, maybe you've seen it as a you know, old biblical tradition and not a matter of biblical obedience. You know, that it's something that, that we've been called to. In Acts 2, when Peter preached that message and many came to know him, they said, well, what, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. So maybe for some of you, you've made a decision to follow Christ. Uh, you've made a decision to, to go after him, but you've never taken that next step of obedience in water baptism, to identify yourself with Christ being buried to death, raised to walk in new life. Well, next week at four o'clock at IOP County Park, man, we are gonna have a throwdown party celebrating those who have taken that step of obedience and baptism. Maybe it's your week, so I'd encourage you. What does taking ownership of your faith look like? Man, show up to be baptized. We have a shirt that we wanna give you. We'll have all the stuff there you need, uh, but would love, love to see you do that. Second area that if you'll take ownership of impacts all of the others is, uh, is my church. Everybody say my church again. My church. Now it's easy when we're in a room like this, seeing this many people, to kind of think our church, you know, (laughs) because there's thousands of people that come here every single weekend. But what drives people's experience of um, encountering the power and presence of God is when each of us individually take ownership of my church. Just this week, there's been multiple stories kind of floating around the office of guys that have made decisions to follow Christ. Last week, I I met a guy here on the breezeway, just moved here from up north, had never really been in church, had a funny story of he came up to tell me, he said, I came in church and I sat down beside one of your bread tables and uh, all throughout the service, it was staring me in the face and so I reached over and I grabbed a few pieces And uh, the lady beside me looked at me all funny. She must have been a Christian. Then after the service, I find out that it was God, you know. (laughs) And I, I was like, yes, that is why. It was hilarious. I was like, that is why we do church. For whatever reason, this is a place where they've shown up, never been in church, but something is drawing them. Here's the power and presence of God. They can come here, hear an incredible message, encounter God in worship. But let me tell you what happens. If they're a family and they have kids, If they walk in and don't know where to go because the building's large and so they're late getting in here, then it turns out they can't get a seat, or if they have an incredible service, but then when they go to pick up their kids, their kids fussing and crying because our ratios aren't strong in the classroom, do you think they're going to come back? No. No. If their kid has a bad experience just because we don't have solid ratios, even though we have solid teaching for children, then it's not going to be a solid experience for the family. It's not going to be an environment where they can come and experience the power and presence of God. See, it's okay for me if we have that kind of service at a Walmart. You know, we probably all have a testimony of 32 registers and four cashiers available. What in the world <laughs> is that? But we're going to go where there's a deal. Walmart, the grocery store, those places offer something that we need to sustain our lives. So even though the experience isn't great, we're gonna go back. But when people's hearts are gripped, when they experience tragedy or transition or some shift in their life, and they say, okay God, I'm gonna give you a shot. Where are they gonna come? To the local church. And when they come here, what's gonna keep them coming back is the hand that they shake at the front door. It's going to be the person that helps them get their car parked. It's going to be the person that takes their kid to say, hey, Johnny, Mickey, I don't know what name, whatever your kid's name is, <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. you know, come on in so that they can come in here, experience the power and presence of God. But if they come and don't have a great experience, they gave God a shot and they might not be coming back to take ownership of my church. I text our core team earlier and said, hey, best case scenario, if your ministries were running on all cylinders, what would that look like? Here's the different opportunities that we have here at the church for students. A few weeks ago at First Wednesday, John Holm, our new student pastor, spoke, kind of cast some vision for student ministry and really taking ownership of reaching the next generation. He said, best case scenario, we would need 87 more volunteers. In guest services, these are the folks that, the ushers and greeters that welcome folks, that pass out worship guides, that help people park their cars. Uh, For guest services, we would need 94 more volunteers. This week I saw Ron Fontenot, who's here in this service meeting with Rob Braniff over at Starbucks. And I was just kind of joking. I said, hey, how you guys doing? You changing the world? And Ron said, yep, starting with your parking lot. And I was like, yes! He gets it. That's silly, but it's just awesome. He understands that every person, every position is critical to us accomplishing the vision of the church and helping people experience the power and presence of God. For children we could use 201 more volunteers across all four services here on the weekend. For the well, which is our college and young adult ministry, we could use about 20 more volunteers. So here's the deal with this. It's okay if we were a uh, Walmart or a grocery store, if we provided some substance that people had to come here for, but the thing is they don't have to come here and it's just not acceptable for God's church. Bible tells us that the church is his bride, that he says, I will build my church. That our part is just to respond in obedience to the gifts he's given you. Each of you have been uniquely gifted by God. Acts 17, 26 says he's ordained set times and exact places where you are to live. You're not here by accident. The fact that he's allowed you to live in this city, in this place, at this time, gifted you with the unique gifts and talents and resources he's given you. You have a contribution that you can make to this church. Second way that you could take ownership of my church is through the the series that we're kicking off next week, No Place Like Home. Each of you, when you came in today, have a card there on your seat uh, that we would love for you to use as an invite for a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a friend. Uh, as you heard Pastor Josh say in the dispatch, folks that maybe walked with God at one time or don't know him, that we could invite them. The only issue is if each of you, if half of you do that next week and invite a friend to come back with you, uh, look around as to where they're going to sit. You know, We try to discourage people from sitting on laps, especially when they're adults. It's just awkward for everybody <laughs> and uncomfortable. There's no, we're going to say, man, we're so glad you're here. Could you sit in the breezeway? You know? Maybe check out the chapel. We need three to 400 people to commit to going to church on Saturday night for the next two or three months. As school's starting back up, we are going to have a, a massive wave of people. Our attendance is going to jump by between 1,000 and 1,500 people uh, because of the calendar. So we've strategically planned this series to really draw people, invite people back into a relationship with God but the part that you can play apart from inviting people is to help us create some capacity. We have room on Sunday nights that we could grow. We have room on Saturday nights where you could come. The sweet thing about that is you could sleep in on a Sunday morning. The service would have been so awesome Saturday. You could watch it again online if you want to from the beach. Are you getting the vision? Is it nice? Come on. You can help us create some space here on the weekends. Well, uh, ownership, my faith, my church, I'm believing as we'll do that, if we'll take ownership, something about this place, when people come, they leave saying, man, it felt different, you know? it's people were welcoming, I feel like I belong, I don't really know anybody. There's something about this place and it's the power and presence of God. So the least that we can do is say, okay, God, I wanna take ownership, not only of my faith, of my part in this incredible story that you're writing through Seacoast, but I wanna take ownership of my church. And man, when we do that, I think there's no limit to what God could do. Uh, The walls of this church could continue to grow as the city continues to grow, that we would reach more and more and more people. Not so that we can say our church is growing, but that we could say we are taking ground in the kingdom, that we are pushing back the darkness and lives are being changed. Amen? Awesome. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much uh, for this season. God, I believe that you've called us here for such a time as this. God, that we would take ownership of our faith, of our walk with you. God, that we wouldn't be propped up by someone else's revelation, by teaching on the weekends, or by the work or words that you're speaking into someone else's life, but that we would go after you ourselves. God, you say that when we go hard after you, that we don't have to worry about what we're gonna eat or what we're gonna wear or where we're gonna live, that when we seek first to your kingdom, that you take care of everything. So God, I just pray that that right now in this moment, God, if we have spent seasons of our lives propped up by our wives' revelation, propped up by uh, the work that you're doing in others' lives, that we would make a decision to take ownership, to run hard after you. God, I pray that as a body, that we would take ownership of our church, believing, God, that you have uniquely gifted each of us, that if a sacrifice of serving one service and attending a service every other week would draw other people into a relationship with you, that it would be one that we're willing to make. God, I pray that when we make that step, that you would show us fruit quickly, that you would show us how our obedience leads to life change, that every single one of us, that every single opportunity to serve in the church is critical to helping others become fully devoted followers of Christ. We thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.